This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. Summer is the season for entertaining. Long sunny days and warm breezy nights bring thoughts of all fresco lunches, twilight cocktails, and lingering gatherings with family and friends. But entertaining can also be competitive and, yes, stressful. How do you make sure the food you serve is au courant and not old hat? Can your table setting compete with the many beauties that flood Instagram? Have your favorite flowers possibly gone out of fashion and need to be banished? Is it even possible to actually enjoy throwing a party? I have with me today three renowned pros, all party planners extraordinaire, to talk about what's new in summer entertaining, what's timeless, what's worth focusing on, and what you should never have to worry about, whether you're planning an intimate dinner for four, a poolside brunch, or an all-out flower-bedecked bash for 300. First up is LA-based caterer and event planner Lulu Powers. Dubbed the entertainologist, she is an innovative chef who oversees every detail of entertaining, from food to decor to flowers to table settings, delighting her many A-list celebrity clients. In 2010, HarperCollins published her best-selling book, Lulu Powers, Food to Flowers, and she's also written a column on entertaining for House Beautiful and contributed to numerous other publications. Hello, Lulu. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. With these other world-renowned entertainologists. Well, we're making you even more world-renowned. Bronson Van Wyck grew up in a small town in Arkansas, but you'd never know it. After serving as a diplomatic aide to Pamela Harriman in Paris, he founded Van Wyck and Van Wyck in 1999. The event firm has since become known for devising over-the-top celebrations ranging from debutante balls inspired by The Wizard of Oz and Alice in Wonderland to underground birthday parties to festive galas for the Whitney Museum and the Friends of the High Line, where he's a trustee. His book, Born to Party, Forced to Work, 21st Century Hospitality, was published by Fiden. Welcome, Bronson. Thank you. Thank you. So nice to be here. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. For more than two decades, Charleston-based Tara Garrard has created impeccably executed events infused with Southern hospitality. Her firm, Soiree, conceives and oversees every detail for weddings and gatherings across the country. Her work has been featured in Food and Wine, In Style, Southern Living, and Traditional Home, and she was named a top wedding planner by Vogue and Harper's Bazaar. She's also found time to write two books— Southern Weddings, New Looks from the Old South, and Weddings by Tara Garrard, both published by Gibbs Smith. Hello, Tara. Hello. So I want to start with like a big topic and get your take from each of you. And Lulu, why don't we start with you? Basically, do you think that entertaining was changed by the pandemic? Now that, I mean, we know there was a lot of pent up demand for events after two years where we could barely leave the house, but has the way people want to entertain changed? What do you think, Lulu? I think that the people who didn't entertain that much before started entertaining because they weren't like going out and they weren't invited to people's houses. I have two friends that would never have you over because they're like, oh, I just think I'm so nervous. I can't have people over. But during the pandemic, they all, like they were in a bundle with their neighbors and they had people over and it like 
imperfect is perfect. No one was judging them because they were just glad to go next door. And I that's right. They got confident. Yeah, they got some confidence. They got confidence instilled in them. And then, you know, everything's on Instagram. You can read anything. So I think a lot of people became Instagram users looking up everything. What's the best lasagna? What are the best appetizers? And I think everyone wants to make it fun and yummy and pretty during the pandemic because there you didn't really have anything else to turn to except the internet and your neighbors or whoever you were with. And you didn't have anything else to do. So you could devote more time to it. Exactly. Right. Bronson, do you, have you found the same? Well, yeah, I have. But, you know, in addition to the internet, you could turn to Lulu's book. Yeah. And exactly. Tara's book and my book. We had lots of good tips. You know what? I, I think that the pandemic drove hospitality and drove social life outside, out of doors, right? So we were always trying to sort of get outside because that was a way that you could see your friends, hang out, be in a larger group and still be in compliance with whatever health guidelines were in place at the time. So, you know, going outside is obviously easier in the summer than it is in the winter most places, certainly where I live on the East Coast. But, you know, going outside poses its own challenges, and it goes really far back in kind of what, what the very basis of hospitality is, and that is sort of welcoming and taking care of your guests when they come into your care. I mean, I think the best, the best sort of feeling that somebody can have uh, as a guest and, and as a host, I think the thing that you can kind of strive for is imagine this sort of return to the womb where somebody is taking taking care of every single one of your needs. And when you're outside, they kind of have to think about, you know, if it's raining, you've got to figure out a way to keep them dry. If it's hot, you've got to figure out a way to keep them cool. If they're mosquitoes, you've got to figure out a way to deal with that. <laughs> and, and so, you know, the physical part of it when you're outside becomes so important. And, and I think once you do those things, then you think about the spiritual thing, part of hospitality, which is you're basically giving love you make people feel good. You make them feel welcome. You give them a smile. You give them a hug. And I mean physically, literally, you know, and metaphorically. And once you get those things, you know, you keep them, you get them physically comfortable and you get them emotionally comfortable and, and satisfied. All the rest is just semantics. I mean, all the rest is just right. tablecloths and flatware and vases and whatever. So those are the most important things. And I think that, that the pandemic really made us focus on those things. And I think that's true. I think that's great. You know, I always say the ultimate compliment you can pay someone is to invite them into your home. And I don't care if they invite me in and then we order in a pizza. I, that's right. fine. You know, it's like, that's all great. But at the same time, and Tara, you can speak to this because the wedding business, which of course was sort of basically decimated during the pandemic, but it seems like it's become a bigger business than ever. And people want more elaborate. And yeah, I agree with you, Bronson. The table setting is ultimately not that important, but obviously it is important because people are putting them on Instagram all the time. They're very proud of what they do. They're collecting more dishes. So anything simple, I'm perfectly happy, but there is a sort of pressure. Semantics do matter. Right, so. right. But the impulse is there. I think the impulse yeah. is great that people yeah. want to have the other people see their friends, see their family, you know? But, you know, it's like, mm. yeah. I think that since the pandemic, people just want to entertain more 
and party more because now you felt like you were in a position where you were told that you couldn't eat and drink together. And that's ultimately to me what entertaining is about, eating and drinking in a big dinner party. And if that's over pizza or over a seven course tasting menu, have it either way. That's what everybody wants to do. And everyone wants to be at home. You can YouTube how to do anything today. So that makes it easy. Instagram makes it easy. And I think it's gone back to the basics where everyone wants just to be together and entertaining and they're scared to lose that opportunity again. So therefore, I think weddings are bigger, more people invite everybody. And now everybody wants to come because what if we go and have a second pandemic of some sort where you can't party or drink and dine together? So yeah, we're social human beings. And that's the most important thing to everybody in the world as human beings and that's the most social, ultimate, most fun way to be social is entertaining. Right. So, yes, if that made sense, I was no, going in a circle. It totally makes sense. I, you know, I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here because I, I basically I agree with all of what you're saying. The important thing is to get together. But, okay, Lulu, I want to ask you food. Now, you know, people now, when you, even when you invite someone for dinner, are there dietary restrictions? You know, people are vegan. People <laughs> don't eat. We eat. We, so how do you handle that? Is, that? is that becoming an ever bigger problem? No, but if I'm entertaining at my house, I always say, if anybody has any health restrictions, please let me know. Right. So that's kind of a standard thing. The one thing that does bug me is when someone comes to us, they're like, oh, I'm gluten-free. Do you have this, do you have that? I'm like, seriously? You couldn't have texted me that? But, I mean, I always I have stuff on hand, but it is a little annoying. Right, you can have both. Bronson, what about for your events? I've been surprised. I've been to a couple of gala dinners in the past year where they actually served veal chops or lamb chops, and a lot of people don't eat that. So is that something that you're, you discuss with your clients? I mean, I was sort of surprised. Well, sure. Of course, they're picking, ultimately, they're picking the menu. I think that um, it's really important, particularly for a big, a big thing, you've got a silent option that may not be on the menu and may not be what the waiter announces mm -hmm. to the table. But if somebody says, you know, I'm vegan, you've got something in the kitchen for them. I mean, I think that uh, that's, that's being a good host. Mm -hmm. I think when somebody comes to your house, I try to put together a meal that has some stuff that they, that basically anybody could eat. Right. But right. I agree with, I 100% agree with Lulu. It's on the guest. If, if somebody's coming to my house for dinner and it's 10, you know, having 10 people over and I'm going to take time to right. prepare a meal for them, I expect to hear from my guest if they've got some kind of health and I don't mind hearing from them. Right. But but I don't want to yeah, I don't want to know when the food's coming to the table that somebody doesn't eat. Right. I agree with you. It's on them. It's not that relevant at that moment right. to anybody except the person telling you. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and Tara, how about you? I mean, I know you have an office in New York as well, but you're basically based in Charleston. A lot of your work is based on Southern tradition. Do you find that the menus are changing, that what people want are different? I, I don't think that they're changing. I, I would say they're definitely traditional foods that everyone always wants to have. And everyone's scared to go out of the box and do a veal chop or a lamb chop in most of my situations. But people are wanting to do something different than a tenderloin. And they do want something interesting. They don't want it to feel like a 
a conference from 1980. And we're not going to do a surf and turf for God's sakes. I'm not going to allow that. But the difference to me that's changed since I started Soiree almost 28 years ago is that back in the day, we would maybe have three vegetarians. Now our, our dietary restrictions for our guest list is 50% of about no dairy, no wheat. I mean, it is, the list goes on and on and on. And back in the day, we might would have, may have had three vegetarians over the years. So I do think in the catering world for us, that has become a really hard thing because we're in the middle of a field in a tent with 400 people and <laughs> and half of them don't, nobody eats anything anymore. So it becomes a little, it's a little annoying. I can't tell you how many veal chops I saw at the end of that meal being t- tossed aside. You know, it was like common tragedy. terrible. Veal chop rocks. <laughs> right. I know. I agree. I, I, listen, I ate all of mine. I think it's probably, well, Bronson, Lulu, and I, there's probably nothing you could put in front of us that we wouldn't eat because we're yeah, food people. We're food yeah. So right. we love food and I eat everything. So it's hard to negotiate yeah. that yeah. a lot of times with our clients. Michael, you said something like looking old school or, the, you know, you get the same plate of. Right, right. It's all in the presentation. If you have a creative chef, or creative party planners, and they say, hey, like, let's get flowers. Let's put these in little vessels, and then you can put the salad around, whatever it is. If you're creative, I'm sure the food is going to taste good. Make it look pretty, too, because they're also paying a lot of money for all this stuff. It's not just slurping it on a plate. You want it to be beautiful. Right. That's so important, and I think that it's really, you can think about functional things at an event, and if you can make those things beautiful. Right. So the things you have to have, you have to have a bar, you have to have food, you have to have, if you can make those things part of the, the look, you're sort of halfway there. And, and it does a lot of the heavy lifting and you don't have to do so much in terms of decoration. And I think, you know, summertime, uh, which, you know, we're starting, it really lends itself to mix of informality and formality high and low. And, 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 you know, a lot of times you end up eating outside, you end up serving things family style. The food on the table is the decoration in a way. I mean, you might add something, uh, herbs or candles or, or uh, maybe some citronella to keep the bugs away. But, but I think that the food presentation then becomes kind of essential. And, you know, the other thing I think that you end up sort of with your menu, uh, choosing things that you can serve room temperature. Good point. A lot of times with with summer entertaining, I mean, you're at home, you don't want to be in the kitchen the entire time that your guests are there. And I mean, this is the first duty of a host is to be present, right? And and nobody's going to, people are coming to see you as a host or hostess. And if you're slaving away in the kitchen the whole time, or you're behind the bar the whole time, or you're doing the DJ, you know, changing songs the whole time, they're not getting to spend time with you. So, you know, you pick a menu that you can serve room temperature, and then you're guaranteeing you're going to get to hang out with your guests while they're there, make it beautiful. And you're guaranteeing that, you know, you, you, you're starting from third base. And then also just being a chef, if you, in what he just said about just the presentation and having it at room temperature, there's so many things, salads, like farro salads, so many things you can actually do the day before. And so all you have to do the day of yes. is make it look beautiful yes. on the platters. 
And one one thing I discovered too when I was doing family style is to bookend it with something beautiful, like mm. flowers or books with you know vases on top. Make it like fun, and then they have you know the whole center is all the people and the food and whatever right. else you seem to have. Tara, what about your parties and and the weddings that you do? Has the decor of the arena become more important? I mean, we've gone through, because we go through fashions in that. Let's face it. You know, I remember 20 years ago, probably 30 years ago now, I don't want to age myself, but I am. You know, it was, you know, everything was white plates, white things. And then maybe you'd have a flat of wheatgrass going down the center of the table. Very minimal, very, you remember Bronson, right? Or you've seen photos anyway. You know, and then of course you got into very elaborate plates, very elaborate flower arrangements. So what are your clients asking for now? How how are you directing them so that they will have something fresh and different? Uh, Well, I think that Yes, that you're right. The old style, it was more simple, neutrals, white plates. But now today, just because we're lucky that rental companies have expanded their collections and availability. So if we can still do a seated dinner for 350 and have January plates. I mean, we weren't able to do that even, what, six years ago, basically. At least not in my world, most places that had beautiful china. And now you can have sterling silverware at for 400. All of those beautiful things have definitely become more and more popular. And they, I see them that being style for quite a while. I love that brides and clients are really wanting to do more colorful flowers today. It's not always just white and green. I definitely still have those very traditional folks, but I would say the tradition of lots of flowers and beautiful table settings is never going to go out of style. I agree with you about the color. I love color. I've always used color. It makes me happy. People are scared of color. But I think actually in the last couple of years, even some of my own friends I've seen started to use a lot more color. Mm-hmm. You're 100% right about the nice plates and, and nice silverware. And even when you can't find, say, 300 of the same pattern, you know, maybe you mix it up table by table. And that really feels natural because it's like you went you went and raided your, your silver closet came yeah, out. Yeah. your butler's pantry or your neighbors <laughs> or your neighbors yeah. right yeah. i mean that's what we would do at right. home of course my neighbors that when i grew up were my grandparents <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> they're three miles away but uh i think that people because they were home this goes you know it was a little bit chicken and egg with the pandemic people were at home they thought about what they were eating on and what they were eating with, and they got out their wedding china. They indulged. They went, I mean, they sold more stuff online uh, related to home, you know, during the pandemic than at any time ever. Crate and Barrel, CB2, from them all the way up to San Luis. So people got used to this, or they got more comfortable with it, or they saw how beautiful it can be. You can eat Kentucky Fried Chicken, and if you're on it's on Royal Crown Derby Black Aves China, my gosh, it's gonna it just tastes better. I did this. I just have to say that I did this thing in New York. I used to live in this great apartment, and the table sat 24 people. These people lived in London. I was basically living in the apartment for four years, taking care of it. I would throw these dinner parties with all their crystal, and I would go around the corner and get McDonald's. And I put all the fries and all the things. But by the way, that's just the fun of it. 
to have everything. Yeah. And I'm sure those were really out. fun parties. Yeah. Right? People yeah. had a great time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now they expect more of you, Lulu. I know. You know? You're not supposed to entertain. That's what I tell people. Exactly. And, and fear is like fire. You can either let it burn you or you can cook with it. Because if someone's going to judge you, shame on them. I mean, you're just trying. And they don't deserve to be invited back. Yeah. Wait, I have one more thing from Bronson. So I also said to a friend of mine, she had all this beautiful china and silver. And she's like, I never use it. I'm like, well, swap out out that silver where you have in your drawer right there. And why don't you use your silver from your wedding? She's like, really? Every day? I'm like, why not? When else are you using it? Yeah. And I think like yeah. stuff like that is important because it's just pretty. Totally. Totally. And, and the, silver, the silver gets a better patina if you throw it in the dishwasher, exactly. quite frankly. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Anna Brockway, and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish. If you're a designer who's struggling with long lead times from suppliers and increasingly impatient clients, now is the time to shop with us. Our vintage antique and one-of-a-kind inventory is ready to ship right now. To learn more, visit Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H.com. And now back to the show. Now, you know, what's interesting to me is that three of you are from different regions of the country. Like I was saying, Tara, you have a New York office, Lulu, you work. But do you think there's still regional differences in the way people entertain? Tara, you're such a Southern hospitality maven, shall we say. Do you think that, that is, there's still something distinctive about the way Southerners entertain? For sure. My best friend lives in New York, and she's a, a Southern girl as well born in the country as well. And the Southerners, I think the thing that's different that drives her crazy, for example, that I have to hear about all the time, that in New York, you just don't typically just go over to your neighbor's house and start eating and drinking. In the South, I think we do that on a daily basis. And it's more common to be just to have friends and family over every single day for drinks. We always start with cocktails immediately, even on Monday night at six o'clock. <laughs> and I feel like that most people, at least her neighbors in the city, don't do that quite as often. But I, I do. I think the term Southern hospitality came about because of a reason. And I think it's because we talk to everybody I even get in trouble because I make friends with everyone on the subway when I'm in New York. And she's like, quit talking to people on the subway. And I'm like, well, why? I'm like, I, I want to talk to everybody. And I just think it's a Southern thing that we do, that we talk to everyone and want to be friends with everyone and have everyone over all the time. And it's more on the fly. We do it more, not just a planned dinner party on a Saturday night. It's more often come over. I'll see you in 20 minutes at my house and I always have the bar ready and I always have bar nuts and I always have snacks and Uber Eats is a beautiful thing. Right. It's actually all of, as you just said right there, you always have. It's about being prepared. I have a pantry. Mm -hmm. By the way, tonight I'm having a little impromptu because I realized it's five years since I had my stroke. And yesterday I was like, oh my God, I'm going to celebrate this because... I came along. That is a great milestone. It is. So I said from six to eight, and I was kind of laughing in my kitchen because I'm going to do what I wrote about once in House Beautiful. I'm just doing the three P's Prosecco, potato chips, and Parmesan outside, (laughs) big chunks of it. It, The chicest party I ever went to was in Venice during the Biennale, 
And I was with my mom after my dad passed away. I went on the trip with her and my friend was there. He was an art advisor. She said, oh, come to this party. And so we followed the steps in, just big silver bowls of potato chips, big silver bowls of Prosecco, and just the Parmesan. I mean, I could, I'm like, this is the chicest thing. And I still talk, obviously, I'm still talking about it all these years later. That's cool. And it's easy. And of course, Lulu, you and, and, and Tar, you can entertain outdoors more easily than we can in New York. Yes. We can entertain outdoors, what, maybe six months of the year, Bronson, five months of the year. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking what Tara said. I think that some are entertaining for people. So in New York, I think that people's apartments are, in a way, their refuge from uh, a chaotic city. I mean, the second you step outside, there's the energy and and friction of, of being in New York. And so I think people's homes are more of a retreat or a refuge. And so you don't really drop by without letting somebody know. But I think when summer comes around and people are out in the country or out on Long Island, it's their chance, it's New Yorkers' chance to live and entertain like Southerners. Right, right. And so you do drop by in the summer. And I just was thinking about why is it that, because I'm from the South too, and, and, and we always had drop by. drop by's going on and we would do that and you don't do it here. But I think it's a space thing um, as much as anything else. I agree. I grew up in Connecticut and I'm one of six children. And on the weekends, people always came to my, our house. My dad always made soups. He had bottles of wines out. He had his big copper pots. He had bowls stacked and people knew just to stop by. So I feel like even though I'm a Yankee, I have a little bit of the Southern my family is a little bit of the Southern because our house was like Grand Central and that's how I am here. People just stop by here. That's because they know I enjoy it. But if I'm just saying, right. I think, right. I think it's great. It is hard in a city like New York or even, San, you know, if you have to go through a doorman and you're up on the 20th floor or whatever, you know, it's hard. People don't just wander in. So you, you have to make accommodations to reality. But I, I agree with you, Bronson. I think a lot of people then, if they have a weekend house or whatever, they use that as the opportunity to entertain. But listen, I have been fortunate to go to many dinner parties in Manhattan. And, you know, we entertain in Manhattan, not as often as I'd like. But, you know, I think, and as I said, I think people are always thrilled to be invited because, and I'm not as good a chef as you, Lulu, or, you know, and I don't put on as elaborate a table as you, Bronson, but, you know, I think people are happy to be invited. And I think that that's something that needs to be reiterated because I do think that with the, with the rise of social media and all the Instagram stuff that we see, everything looks so spectacular that people feel they have to live up to that or match that. In every aspect of life. Exactly. It's not just an entertaining. It's true. You look at the body. You look at the body. Your hair. Yes. I mean. And it's kind of a pressure. And I remember, you know, our dear friend, Julia Reed Bronson, when she told me this great story about when she first started and she was in Washington, she was still based in Washington then. And she was decided to put on a dinner party. She invited all these people that she was meeting in politics and the media and, you know, the DC, whatever. And she was driving herself crazy getting ready. And she was calling her mother, who's one of the greatest hostesses ever, for advice on this. And should I make this? Should I make that? And her, finally, her mother was so exasperated. She said, Julia, can't you just make something that tastes good? And I think that we 
we lose sight of that, you know? People feel that they have to maintain a certain standard or put on well, the dog, you know, as I used to say. That's just so not what personal hospitality is about. You're, a host is not a brand. I mean, if totally. you're launching a product, you're creating an event or an experience that really is serving a business need uh, you know, you're, you're doing it to create content, to promote something. I mean, if you're trying to promote something when you're having people over to your home, you've already started driving in the wrong direction and you probably need a course correction uh, before, <laughs> you, but before you worry about what you're going to serve. So hospitality is about giving and sharing kind of love. And the, the content side is Leave that to the PR agency who's doing it to, you know, open a hotel or, right. or sell a car. But at the same time, you know, a lot of the events that you all do, and Tara, this is certainly true of the weddings and the parties that you put on in the South. People want to have a theme. They want, they want to have a fantasy element to, especially, I think the bigger the event, a lot of the galas have a fantasy event. How important is that still do you think, and, and the way people are looking at entertaining these days? Tara, what do you think? <laughs> I'm not the fantasy girl. Bronson is your fantasy guy. Bronson's <laughs> got the magic. Bronson is the guy that does crazy fantasy. But you have, the, you have these beautiful weddings and, and fields of flowers. But Mine are beautiful and that's simple a fantasy. and elegant. Yeah. It's a good old wedding. It's a good old, good old, beautiful wedding and that I like to make memories. Now, I'm all about great fun and the best party and dancing and partying, but I'm, I'm not in that fantasy element that Brunson, Brunson is, he, he needs to be your question for <laughs> fantasy. He's the fantasy guy. You're no. short, selling yourself short though, Tara. It's a different fantasy. Let's put it that It's just a different fantasy. You're so... Nice. I, here's the thing, though. It, in the United States of America in 2023, aren't we all looking for a fantasy? Don't we all need a fantasy to, to escape to I in agree. a certain way? <laughs> it depends what kind of fantasy you have. I don't know. <laughs> no, but I am just I think I'm your good old traditional girl with great food, most important, great service and a damn good bar and good music. And so I'm a little old fashioned that way. And when it comes to etiquette, I'm more of that Southern traditional girl that's going to stick with the etiquette of the most perfect worded invitations. I mean, my mother instilled that in me. And yes, I use my silver every day at home. And so there's a little bit of me that can't get that Southern girl etiquette stuff out of me. And why should you? But if somebody wants flying angels with, you know, you, you I to say call Bronson. <laughs> <laughs> but Bronson, people still want that, don't they? They do. I, I'm just not good at that. But Brunson is. So I would tell them to call Brunson. It's funny. You, flying angels, you, you, you mentioned the party in New Orleans, the Wizard of Oz. We did have flying monkeys at that party. Well, there you go. See, yeah. see, I would never have flying monkeys at one of my places. Even if they were carrying big peonies or something? I'm boring. I'm boring. I you are not boring. boring. There is boring. nothing more beautiful than a traditional 
wedding, a traditional party. I mean, you know, silver candelabra. What's more wonderful than that? And then I think that's so important with an event. Have the personal touch and that if you come away from a party knowing a little bit more about the host or hostess and liking them, loving them a little bit more, then they've they've done a good job. And so that was very much that combined with, as you say, the the sort of structure of tradition and classical etiquette and and the way you lay out a room. And and uh, so, you know, it's the architecture. Remember, the architecture of it or the, the tradition is in service of the experience and the feeling. OK, so. You know, this has been so fascinating and interesting to me. And, I, and you know, everybody talks about trends and what's trends. And it, what I get from all three of you is that the trend is just to be present and relax and enjoy your guests. And I know that doesn't sound trendy, but I think it's something that is ever true and classic. And I just think that that's going to be very reassuring to our listeners. So, But I do want to ask each of you, what is the biggest fiasco you've ever had in terms of giving a party? And what would be the one or two tips that you would give somebody who's planning not, say, a wedding, but just like a dinner party or whether it's outdoors or indoors this summer? What, what would you stress to them? So, Lulu, let's start with you. What was your biggest disaster? There was a lot, but... <laughs> I mean, things that just didn't happen. One was, I'll never forget, bringing out this beautiful birthday cake. And right as we were about to get to the door, the person holding it just drops the whole damn thing on the floor. I'm like, and I literally said, go get spatulas. And I, it was like a mud pie. And then I took <laughs> all the flowers that was on the dining room table. I took off the heads and I like quickly, like put it around, but. You got to think on your feet. You yeah. can't even get upset. You just got to go, okay, what, what can we do? Like, how do we salvage this? Like, That's really good another advice. Another good one is this. It's one of my first jobs in LA. This lady insisted upon having these honey baked turkeys. And she's like, I'm going to get those. I'm going to have them. Or They're my husband's favorite, mm-hmm. yada, yada. Well, she had them out on the counter because you have to like defrost them. And they're already cooked, but you just warm them up with brown sugar and stuff. Someone who was working with me stuck them back in their freezer. So when it came, oh. yeah, literally they took them, they went in the guest house and I, the guy says, do I seriously have to stand in the shower? I'm like, Sarah, cause they're going to, we're going to steam this. So we're going to steam this. And That's they hilarious. had a whole day in the shower. Seriously. That's hilarious. But it worked out. That's great. So what would be one or two tips for this summer's entertaining to make it fun in Ocaron? Is there a vegetable that you like to use that people don't know about? Or I'm big about going to the farmer's markets mm-hmm. and using whatever they have to, to take the stress off you. Don't make it because in the summer, it's so it's so much easier to just put things out wherever fresh everybody food, lives right? in the country, right. fresh food. But the worst part of entertaining for people is putting the stress on themselves. And if they can just think to themselves that they're coming to have a great time, I'm going to give them great, say, margaritas, and they're going to have a fun time. It, I, I feel people get into their heads worrying about, oh, that's not right. That really needs one more flower. It doesn't. Imperfect is perfect. Right, right, right. And Tara, what about you? I would say my... 
for summer entertaining for me would be make really fun new drinks. I love making cocktails and I love playing with things and making them fresh. And all my girlfriends want to stay skinny, so we don't do <laughs> sugary things. And we, um, I love coming up with new concoctions that are fabulous and good and light and refreshing and taste delicious. And that's fun for me. And that's what I recommend. Drink more. Okay. That's good advice. Now, confess your biggest disaster. Well, I won't go into wedding disasters because that list would last I'm, another three yeah, hours. I'm sure. But I'll, I'll tell you one of my personal dinner party disasters. I had a little girl from my intern uh, talked into coming over to help me at home entertain um, for a dinner party I was doing in my garden in Charleston. And I had this big, beautiful shrimp dish that I had made, and she covered she covered it in, well, maybe I covered it in saran wrap to mm-hmm. cover it to be ready for the mm-hmm. guests while I was outside making drinks, as usual. Mm-hmm. And then it's time to have dinner, and I go inside to let her know, can she help me plate or whatever? Well, she had put the entire dish with the saran wrap in the oven, <gasps> and the saran wrap melted all over the entire entree that was to be served at that moment. And it was probably, I can't imagine how many pounds of shrimp. <laughs> it was, that is painful that was, to even was, think about. It was terrible. That was so terrible. What did you do? Uh, uh, I called fast and French down the street and ordered eight of uh, like 10 entrees and had her go pick them up. I mean, what do right. you do? What do you I, do? No, I mean, yeah. what do you do? Like you said, Uber Eats. Uber Eats. That's all good. Well, Uber Eats, you know, so That's hilarious. Tragic. Mm -hmm. If you keep stuff in your freezer, like pizzas that you can put fresh basil on or anything else. So if there is mistakes like that, you can always kind of be a little prepared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Okay, Bronson, your turn. Biggest disaster and a little bit of advice. I'd say the biggest, well, a there have been many. I mean, we try to actually never talk about them. Uh, <laughs> no names need to be revealed. Well, we were doing this wedding down in Beaufort, South Carolina, and the clients had had a tulip farm. And there was this old packing shed for tulips. And the ceremony was over. Guests were coming over from in town out to the, out to the farm. And the power blew in this, you know, ramshackle, corrugated metal uh, shed on a concrete pad. And, and so here we are out in the middle of nowhere. And so we had to figure out what to do. We have 360 people coming to eat. So the caterer was this fabulous woman from Savannah, Susan Mason. You, you guys probably know yeah, her. I met her. Great Southern chef. We found an ax. We chopped up the tables that we were using in the kitchen as, you know, the prep tables. And we built a bonfire. Wow. And we cooked that meal on a fire in the back of this shed. Meanwhile, we have every electrician we could lay our hands on working to set up jumper cables and a power run from the 18-wheelers that were outside that had, you know, delivered the rentals and stuff. And so by the time it was, it was time to serve coffee, we had the power back. And so we were able to turn the coffee makers on. <laughs> but wow. That was a, um, and whatever it takes. Yeah, whatever it takes. And, you know, she, we were, 
I was in a tuxedo. She was in a gown with a, probably wearing a, she had an emerald the size of With her pearls. With her pearls. Yeah, her pearls. And the father of the bride comes and he said, it smells a little smoky back here. And I said, you just go worry about the dance. <laughs> you go worry about dancing with your daughter and you, you I don't want to hear about it. So, um, so that was a semi-disaster. I think, figure out a plan for bugs. Nobody bugs. wants to deal good. with yeah. good. bugs. Good, good. Bugs. I mean, have off, have citronella, have mm-hmm. whatever you have a thermocell mm-hmm. uh, or enough of them to kind of make a zone to be outside. Don't run out of ice. You know, I think ice actually, if, speaking of trends, I, I think that um, flavored ice is so fabulous for the summer. And, and I think we're going to do that a lot this summer where we take ice cubes and, you know, we, we're making the ice and we put a little cucumber juice in it or we put a little tangerine juice or watermelon juice. And so you're getting kind of two things out of that. One, you're getting a flavor enhancement. The other thing you're doing is getting something very beautiful. And so, you know, the idea of a sort of pink topaz colored ice cube that is watermelon juice in your drink, and maybe you're making some sort of watermelon spritzer, and then it's it's melting and kind of enhancing the flavor as it happens. And, you know, this is really good in a spicy drink. Spicy drinks to me. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Spicy drinks to me are great to serve when it's hot outside because there's a natural, they actually cool you off. So when you drink something spicy, you actually, your, your, the relative kind of your perception of temperature changes. And, and so even if it's hot, you, it feels, it doesn't feel as hot, I guess, because you're getting so hot on your tongue from the spicy (laughs) drink. But I find spicy drinks are great your tolerance for spice sort of diminishes. So you might like a really spicy drink when you first start drinking it and you're sort of, you, you get tired of it by the second one. But if you, I'll put cucumber juice ice cubes and the cucumber has a naturally cooling effect on the taste. So by the end, it's not nearly as spicy it was as it was in the beginning. So anyway, I, I think the ice, work, play with ice. That's and don't run out. I have a- little trick for you. I love ice cubes. I've been obsessed with ice cubes for years. And in my freezers here, in my freezer, in my outdoor bar, there's round cubes. There's a thing like the sneak easy. That's what my bar is called. And someone sent me them. But for Bronson, for you, I got into the habit of like making cubes like cucumber and basil or with jalapenos, doing it all in the blender and making the cubes. Then Pouring the alcohol just on top. And by the, you know, when you're doing a lot of people, it melts, starts yeah. to melt a little and it's delicious and it looks yeah. beautiful. And quick. Yeah, and it's quick. And quick. Mm-hmm. Great. Great tips. Okay, I want to thank my wonderful guests, Lulu Powers, Tara Garrard, and Bronson Van Wyck. And thank everyone for listening to the Cherish Podcast. You've been listening to the Cherish podcast brought to you, of course, by Cherish, which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague, or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word, and we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherished Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hangar Studios in New York. Until next time.